So, hi. This is literally the, the 26th, 27th take of this or something. This is so difficult for me. My God. I apologize. But, uh, hi, I'm, I'm Mark Pontius. This is Sudden Movements. Not Sudden Bowel Movements. That's going to be the next series. Uh, I have a whole lot of thoughts on poop. Um, this is Sudden Movements, and um, I'll tell you what the podcast is about in a second. Just first, I, I mean, really, like, just to be honest here, um, which is what I'm trying to do with the whole podcast, it's why I'm doing it, but it's just in the beginning, this is not going to be easy for me, I think, because of, uh, I've realized that I, did, I haven't been truthful with myself or something. I haven't been, I haven't found a way in life to um, feel safe to be my whole self. Does that make sense? That that there's been I I've, I've been like living in this other uh character or something. Like that there's what other people perceived me as I held up to be like who I am. That's who I thought really who I was. And I tried to stay in that, but then I started having deeper feelings on things and, and not being able to communicate these things and then not feeling like I'm being seen in a whole way, you know. Um and getting lost in this perception of other people um, and not being able to like really relate to that person anymore. And so then feeling just super alone, um, which is really odd in my life. Cause I, so I'm in a band called foster the people. We've been a band for 10 years now and you know, we've traveled the world, done so many amazing things. Uh, there's such a wonderful community around it yet I feel so damn alone. Like it didn't make sense, which just made it more alone feeling like it fucking sucked, man. And, uh, God, I had to, you know, rip through some anxiety and depression that came along with just not understanding why I was that way. Uh, but I realized, uh, essentially I, I'm in search of my voice, my real true self. And, and, and I want to try to, um, find that again. You know, I've, I've, I think I've made myself small in a lot of ways and, uh, I've, I'm learning why I was doing that. And I, I'm going to kind of, I think I'm going to unpack that on this podcast and I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I kind of want to just approach it. Like it's not a, um, I'm just doing the podcast for myself, really. You So if you don't, if this isn't like what you want to listen to, then just don't listen to it. I'm not trying to do the whole like, here's a podcast and I'm going to like ride the ladder of cool podcasts and do the, I mean, cool. I don't know that I just, I, I think in the beginning here, I'm just trying to be honest and try this. It seems like a really easy way, to, a cool way to do it because I don't really have to be held accountable to anybody. Um, I can just, it's like a journal, right? Like I can try to just, uh, find a place to express myself, uh, authentically. So, um, yeah. So just buckle in for a little bit, I guess in the beginning, I, I'm going to explore how to find the authenticity of this. 
I don't want to edit it too much because this is part of it, right? So I think I obviously I've had to do like 26 of them to try to get something that's like, yeah, that sounds that sounds like that's really me. Because it's fuck, I've been like hiding behind this. It's like such a habit to live in this other perception of what you think people think you are. You know, it's a weird thing to like deprogram or hack whatever term you want to use. The podcast might get a little woo. I'm kind of into that stuff. So it's, yeah, again, if it doesn't make sense to you or you think I'm the devil, that's fine. I'm the devil. Go ahead. Go on to the next person you want to project onto. Uh, so, yeah. Um, it's going to kind of be me to like learn it about myself on a podcast. Cliche, right? Uh, but I do think, you know, so it's called Sudden Movements. Um, somebody else came up with that name. Thank you. But it resonated. So I stole it. And, you know, sudden movements, man. Sudden, anything sudden, I think, is interesting to look at why it is taken as sudden and what that means. Um, there's been in my life a lot of magical moments that have come from sudden movements in my life, from sudden changes and shifts that I flowed with instead of resisted. And it was magical the way the things turned out um, better for me than I could have ever expected because of the giving into that, that sudden shift in life. So I think this is kind of a key to... Uh, to key to happiness and key to like finding to, to, to finding things you want that you desire in life um, is learning how to flow with the energy of life that is is trying to uh, pull you and lead you into what you really do want. Um, there's obviously a lot that goes into the, to, to that. There's all it gets woo, man. But the that's uh, you know I think this podcast is gonna be a combination of interviews and uh me monologuing to a brick wall just in the microphone um but you know just also just conversations and dialogues with people that are um interesting and i think that it's cool to to in a lot of these discussions new ideas like come in the moment you know and that's i love that uh environment so the podcast is going to be a lot of that um but yeah, around creativity, creative flow, and and uh, how that also applies to like living life that way. You know, I think we can live life as if we're um, being an artist with it. You know, life as a canvas to be to dance through life, and um, these things all intertwine. You know, that's why I like sudden movements. It's it's all about like flowing with that sudden change. It's there for a reason. It's only sudden because you think you know what you want, but uh, I think sometimes there are bigger things going on that uh, do have our best interest in mind if we will only just let go of our own idea of what we think we want, you know? So this first episode, I decided to have somebody uh, actually ask me some questions. Um, I felt a little like I, I needed maybe somebody to hold my hand to get into this vulnerable space on a microphone uh, and be 
authentic because it's a habit of me to not do that and to hide from it. Um, so I, yeah, I had somebody else ask me some questions. Uh, her name's Jessa Reed. She's a comedian and a host of a podcast called Soberish. You should definitely go check that out because it is incredible. Um, and she happens to also be my girlfriend right now. She, I know that's a bomb to drop on you. Um, I did tell you in the beginning of this podcast, I'm just going to be straight honest here and be unapologetic about it. Um, it's, yeah, I don't live my life on social media super uh, publicly and factually up to date. So uh, I have been going through a divorce for a, a little bit now and love is crazy and you can fall in and out of it in an instant. Um, there's a lot of things that happened within that, that I, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't care to share on social media. I keep a lot of things private, but, uh, I do feel like, yeah, I need to tell you, this is my girlfriend cause it's pretty obvious, but we, uh, you know, I'm sure we can talk more about that later on this podcast. Uh, I don't feel the need that I have to explain all of these things to you, but I am very aware, obviously that this is going to look a little crazy for a second. If you assumed something else was going on, um, so that is what it is. I, uh, that's where we're at. And I'm, uh, got getting through a divorce and I fell in love with somebody else and that's what's going on. Um, sorry if you don't like it, but, uh, there's a lot of real deep, honest love behind it, whether you believe it or not. And you can see that if you aren't triggered enough to walk away and not listen, but there's uh, some interesting things to talk about here. I think there's a lot of what has unfolded in my life in the last year is has been a, a wild roller coaster, up and down, left and right, unknowing what, what was going to happen. But um, there is a immense amount of clarity and truth that I've found and more love that I've ever felt uh, for myself and for the world, I don't know, for everything. So um, that's that, just letting you know up front that, that that's what's going on. Um, and I uh, hope you really enjoy this podcast. She's a magical, magical person, and so are you. Uh, great, hope you enjoy it. Hello, welcome to Sudden Movements. My name is Jessa Reed. I am your guest. I'm here today with your host, Mark Pontius. Is that how this goes? Yeah, we're just going to do, you're going to do your intro on my podcast from here on out. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) I almost said my podcast name. Yeah. No, it's it's, uh, interesting to have another podcast host on my first podcast. I feel like you should just host this thing. You're better at it. 
Um, I just I'm going to interview you, and I I decided that a hilarious premise for a podcast is just every time you have a guest on, just tell them right before you hit record. The premise of this podcast is you interview me. So it's just a series of different people. I'm interviewing here to you. answer your questions <laughs> about me. <laughs> I know you're so curious. I feel like it's maybe. Yeah, you're technically going to interview you interview me, but more, it's more like a discussion. But to be honest, it's me. Oh no, I'm struggling. You. Okay, well then you're interviewing. <laughs> but it's the point is I'm struggling to just be vulnerable and honest on a microphone, and I need help with somebody else uh, asking some random questions or getting a conversation started. So that's why you're interviewing. Okay, cool. Because I brought a clipboard <laughs> and these little glasses. Can I just talk like I'm your therapist? Sure. That's like my whole thing. Okay. Hi, Mark. Hi. Why did you name your podcast Sudden Movements? Do I need to respond to a raw shock block test first? Or do you, <laughs> we're good to go? Do I need to sit on a couch? Yeah, just wait until I spill coffee on this couch and then you can tell me what it reminds you of. Yeah. Uh, well, you helped me name it Sudden Movements. I was just looking for that. Just looking for that credit. Everybody hear that? There you go. Uh, but we it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I was originally trying to call it the flow or something like that, but the flow is a, I love the idea of creative flow. It's just kind of a cliche term maybe. So sudden movements is a little more uh, wide and abstract, but uh, sudden, I feel like I've had many pivotal moments in my life or, or things that were sudden changes, like left turns in life that I now, I feel like I can understand as somewhat of a, like a magic understanding to life in a way. Like, so these sudden movements in my life were just you know, when I uh, moved out from, I was 18 and graduated high school, and then I like drove to LA two days later, pretty much took a giant loan out to study film and become a cinematographer. And six months into it, uh, realized that that's not what I wanted to do. I actually was more into music, and so I just dropped that. I finished school, but had like you know a sixty thousand dollar loan just sitting there for potentially nothing. I didn't get like the real education, but I. Uh, just trusted that and was like, okay, well, it doesn't matter that I took out the loan. I really want to do music, so I'm going to pay attention to that. And uh, so many things lined up in my life after that that I wouldn't, I, that I wanted, I realized I need, like desired, but I wasn't going to get it in the other, how to stay a cinematographer because, oh, well, I got this loan, so I should just stay doing this. I didn't force myself to do that. I was open to like uh, kind of flowing with what life was like handing me and the way I felt about, well, I don't, maybe it isn't, I don't want to do film. So is it okay if I want to do music? Yeah, it's fine. I should try to do it. And so I'm glad that I didn't listen to the like inner critic or people telling me like, well, but you took a loan out. You can't just go shift. You know, my mom, my parents were definitely like wide eyed for a minute. Like, but you have, you're in debt. Like you're going to just go be a musician now, a rock and roll. Come on. Like it does also just sound, uh, I love to hear the story from the, after you succeeded at it, but you know, uh, well, I'm sure like listening to 19 year old, you be like, I know, but I've changed my mind. I'm going mm -hmm. to go be a musician. It's like, yeah. okay, cool. You and everyone else in Los Angeles. And that's exactly what my, my mom and dad probably felt internally. And they did, they were, they resisted a little bit, but I'm so thankful in the end that they somehow trusted me and were like, all right, you know, you do you. Yeah. Everybody else is trying to do music in LA. Good luck. And 
for five years i mean near the end of that uh, band malbec they were they were like on board they believed it and they were like but you're still crazy you're in debt and you have no money but you look like you're happy you know and then until i finally when i got into foster the people and it was like it took off they were like ah i see what you were doing like and then they you know believed in it then and they were like i could validate that i felt something right you know that they couldn't see so it you know they probably learned from something something from that too but those you know that was such a pivotal moment in my life that on in the face of it seemed like it was destroying my life i was giving up everything in that band like when i decided to leave tell me a little bit clarify a little bit what band you're talking about yeah sorry i actually because the the first pivot was the moving to la and then for film and then changing and doing music and then within that i did that band i took it that that was like my career that was my path and i took it very seriously threw all my eggs into that basket and then it started to not make me happy either i was like i felt some kind of resistance that i needed to maybe leave it or change up my career path again or something you know and uh i had to leave that band at a finally at a certain juncture again in in the face of like i feel like i'm giving up everything that I had been working for for the last five years. I put so much work into it. Um, now I'm at the point potentially where I'm having to say, it's not going to work. You have to give up. But deep down in, I didn't want to give up on music or on any of that. But in this vessel, in this like way, it wasn't going to work. So I had to say, okay, let's shut this down and trust that something else will work out. And I had already met Mark. We had been working a little bit um, while I was still in this other band called Malbec. So I was in that band for five years. And, um, as I became unhappy and had, knew that I had to leave when I did that, I, nothing was going on with foster people. Like we barely had a name and it was Mark's project. I was just, I was in Malbec and I was going to help him. And this is like a side project, but my main focus was Malbec. And so when I shifted that and said, okay, Malbec's not anymore, it's not it anymore. I don't know what is, but me and Mark were playing music and mostly that was just healing to me. It felt easy and good compared to the band I was in. So I was like, great, I'll still keep doing this. But when I told Mark that I had left and that like I wasn't committed to that thing anymore, um, and I didn't straight up front be like, I'm committed to you 100%. I was in a in-between place of like, I don't know what I want. That doesn't work. I have to find myself again. I have to find something. Um, Mark was able to then feel that, oh, oh, I am potentially able to commit to him. So he can, we just, the band started to like, churn up right after that happened and then everything with foster the people unfolded pumped up kicks was written we were got signed we had management we went on tour everything happened in the blink of an eye but it was like when i look back in the rearview mirror it was that ability to let go of like how i thought it was going to unfold in malbec and in this certain way to really just like grieve that and say like shit it didn't work okay um i'm gonna just be open to what happens now and the moment I like l- took that out, I jumped off of it and said, okay, put it down. Everything started unfolding in, in such a detailed way right after that decision that it then launched me into the next thing. And so those are all sudden movements in my life or were caused by sudden like feelings that felt like left turns and like nobody would understand. And and when I would try to like talk to people about it, like I'm thinking about leaving this band, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, they'd be like, you're crazy. Don't do that. That's, that doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Underneath, I'm somehow, I'm trusting something, some gut instinct in me that 
it's easy for other people to convince you that it's wrong but man every time i just trusted that and went it's like it it unfolds in the most magical way where it's like tickling that you you can kind of get what you desire if you're just willing to let go of of certain aspects of how to get there it's interesting because i don't know that a lot of people would equate sudden movements with flow but it really is that is the nature of flow because we want something and then a lot of times we're getting it but it doesn't look like we're getting it i've had this experience so many times in life where if i was in a band for five years and plugging away at things and like kept getting my hopes up for stuff and then failing and whatever at this point in my life i would recognize that it what as what it is which there seems to be these relationships in your life or these career things that feel like school i call them apprenticeships it's like an apprenticeship for the thing you want to accomplish you're going from high schooler to i want to be a professional musician and that's like your apprenticeship for it not only do you learn your skills and how the business works and everything else you also clear out a lot of this like energy where when we want something we come at it too hard does that make sense so like uh, you probably got your heart broken a bunch of times in that band. You probably got your hopes up for stuff and it went away. And so that there was like a stillness in you by the time yeah. you were in Foster the People. I've, I mean, I've heard you talk about it before that like you kind of didn't care. And a lot of times when we're chasing our dreams, it is a lot like dating to where if you get to the date and you're like, oh, my God, I love you. You're the prettiest thing I've ever seen. And I want to marry you. I need a girlfriend. You know, the chick's like, whoa. But if you go there and you're just confident and you're like, this would be cool if it happens, cool if it doesn't happen, then then it flows to you. Yeah. And it's like these sudden movements when we get like two in our head. Then this is something I connected with you about when I first met you, because like I make giant sweeping changes to my life very quickly. If something's not working and I get to the point where I'm like, oh, we are stale, we are stagnant. This is not working. This is looping. I just pivot. And I have a tendency to where some people will freeze or like overthink. I will actually just like sometimes I get stuck in like a pivot, 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 you know, until something catches. But that I've had a magical life filled with amazing experience as a result of just being like not working, boom, move to something else. Not that I don't like see things through, but sometimes what we see is seeing things through is just being stuck and we're kind of stuck in that like. I think there's something too, like you're, it's interesting you say it that way. Cause sudden to me, so the way it seems like you're talking about it is like, you can actually utilize the idea of pivoting, making a big change in life that, that will cause some kind of, it causes a bunch of things in reality to kind of like start to actionably come into play. So if you were going to like, Oh, I need to move out of this place. Then you cause like you stir up your reality. Right. And then you follow your instincts to follow what you need. And so you kind of do it to yourself. But there's one way, too, of like, I feel like just the idea of so sudden movements is like when anything sudden happens in your life, it's sudden because it's different than what you have assumed was going to unfold. Right. So it feels and immediately it's like, oh, no, I wasn't planning for that. And to me, this is like nature's way of like providing you an out to something that you think you want, but like it, it isn't congruent with your soul or your deep feelings. And maybe you're not being honest there. So all of a sudden something comes into your reality, an option or something that's like, it feels so sudden and insane. But it, if you look at it in a certain way and you 
you know, pull back on a little bit. It's like, it feels sudden only because I had a certain trajectory of, I thought what would work inside. I know I still want that thing. What if I, I'm just misaligned here and this thing seems sudden because I was too narrowed down on like the way I was going to get to my desire. So if I'm open here, maybe this is actually going to steer me in a way that I do desire and I just don't know it yet. Yeah. And being so that's why it seems like magic to me because it's kind of veiled in this like misunderstanding just between yourself and like what you want and the world like life and everything is just so it's so uh, like complicated, but it's just so interweaved together that there is this idea of like if you kind of flow with what it's giving you and not be so thrown off by the fact that this is sudden and it doesn't seem to align with everything tune into like why well why do i feel disturbed by this and maybe that there is something like you can just flow with it and trust and it for me every time that i've had those big pivots where i've had to make that kind of quick thing like just trust your gut man i know this seems crazy and go it's like dude the other side there's so many fun little treats and surprises that like you it it's so tickling and it feels as if like it wasn't me or something. I, I made the commitment and said, I trust you. And then it like gives you a bunch of stuff that you did. Like you never would have thought it could have happened like that. And it's like, it's so magical, man. And I, um, I don't feel like, so I, I think as we like, for me, as I've understood that it is a thing where I mostly am looking for nature to provide me with that. If there's something that like it shifts and I'm like, Oh God, this seems crazy. Let me calm down for a minute and actually feel if it, there is something, some truth to it. Then you start to realize like, wait, if I actually am feeling a little bit lost and foggy, what if I just try to switch up my life suddenly some, somewhere and like, I'm going to change, maybe I'm going to go not live in this house for a month. I'm going to go try to um, couch surf with a friend for a little bit and see what it provides me uh, as a sudden change in my life that might, maybe there's something here that'll come up that um, instinctually I feel is something good to chase that will then swipe my life around and switch it up to find the truth again because i'm foggy and i don't know where the truth is so that's what's interesting about it. it's like you're i think sudden movements is something that happens naturally to our lives like when it's trying to get us to wake up to the idea that maybe we're not happy and there's something else but then you if you start to understand this is how reality works you can cause sudden movements in your life from a place that you trust like hey i'm going to give this one to you universe like find me a new place that like makes me happy or find me a new trajectory that I can jump on that will um you know inspire me and make me find this this happiness so it's like a yeah so it's like it's a great it's just a, such a simple phrase but I think there's a lot of depth to what um that is about it's about creative flow about being able to find a way to um naturally tap into authentic inspiration as an artist and make art from your soul you have to be able to follow these like sudden shifts in the muse or in your emotions when you're making art and you need to be able to be malleable and not like take your own agenda so seriously you have to let go a little bit and that same interaction that same relationship can be applied like in a macro way on your life to just trust your instincts about what you're doing and that there's nobody else that can tell you exactly what to do because they don't know your whole life experience and all the things that you've thought about and built up to this very moment to make a decision. There's no way anybody else can ever can fully encapsulate your brain. So 
um, it's good to get advice from other people, but at a certain juncture, you have to just kind of mute a lot of those things and remember that you're, you're the one that knows the right thing for yourself and just trust, man, just jump off. And it's almost always better. Yeah. I feel like even like what I'm calling pivots is probably more adjusting of sales. You know, a lot of times it's a decision that I make without making an outward decision. It's like, well, I'm clinging to something right now that's not working. And it's almost like an internal, like I like decision to no longer cling to something that's not working. And then reality goes, okay, well, here's the real thing. You know, like you finish your apprenticeship and graduation was accepting. And I think that that's so important for people in entertainment to know because a lot of people would have taken the five years of perceived, not failure in the other band, but like letdowns and everything else and taken that as a message that you're not going to succeed. And then not, they would have closed themselves off and been like, well, I have to go do something else. A lot of, a lot of us thinking like this, it's either this or that, right? right. But instead you stayed, oh, like uh, I, this band didn't work. And I, it's time for me to move on, but I'm going to stay open to, because this is the thing that I want, you know, so I'm going to stay open to that thing. And then that just delivers you to the thing. And you're now more prepared yeah. to have that experience because of your other experience. Because of your education, your schooling. There's a, it reminds me of uh, Tony Hawk. I listened to Tony Hawk on Joe Rogan the other day. <clears throat> and... uh Actually, first of all, I just want to get one other thing. It's funny out of the way. There, this is applicable to um, sudden bowel movements. <laughs> think about that it. If was, you have uh... a sudden bowel movement, you're going to take care of it. You have to flow with the thing, right? If you're caught in the woods and you're around friends, but it's sudden, like, you don't just avoid the thing. <laughs> you go take care of it, even if it's in the woods and you got to go behind a tree, whatever, you know. I'm just picturing you in like a boardroom or whatever. And it's like you guys are planning the name of this podcast. And you're like, all right, hear me out. <laughs> sudden bowel movements. First season is sudden movements. <laughs> then we're going to move into sudden bowel movements. It'll all make sense. Bowel movements has to come after sudden movements. But um, the real metaphor I was trying to bring up is, I think that one's actually valid. It's really real if you think about it. But the uh, Tony Hawk. I <laughs> tight segue. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, it was, I was listening to his story on Joe Rogan and I've heard his story before. I've, I've was a skateboarder growing up and I primarily surf now. Um, I skate just to like cruise around and fun, but I don't do tricks cause I'll break my hand and I'm a drummer. So I, I love the story though. And I connected to it as a kid. Tony Hawk was like an inspiration and this whole Dogtown and Z boys who like started, uh, really like, made skateboarding lift off to what it was he told a part of his story where he you know he was like 14 i think when he went pro um just by way of like there wasn't even like a pro circuit really he just was at the top of his game in his age bracket so when he was like filling out the form in the like one of the competitions he was already like beating everybody at his age so it said amateur or pro and he was like well i guess i'm pro now and that's how he became pro. He just like checked the thing and then he went into the competition. There was skateboarding wasn't at the level where it was like, okay, to be pro, you have to be able to, you have to be initiated into this thing. You right. Know? He was just so good. And so on a lot of skateboarding, he was like kind of at the front of it. I mean, Dogtown and Z Boys like made it for what it was. And then he came in and 
blossomed as a like a vert skater which was new at the time like skating in pools was all something that was just being innovated at the time and he became so good and so so quick that you know he was like by the time he's 17 he's buying a house and he had just you know launched into this adult responsibility and had parents that were kind of helping him like not be crazy with the money and save it and stuff but he's throwing it around and having a good time um you know, there's no, I, like, fucking 17, you imagine if your friend, when you were 17, if a friend had a house to himself. Right. You you could never, you always, you didn't have to wait for people's parents to go out of town to have a party at the house. You just go to Tony Hawk's house and have a fucking party whenever you want. So you can imagine that, like, living in that reality, it's just a full-on, everything's going to be fine in my future, you know? And I think he even says, he was like, I didn't have any clue that I, I was going to lose all this at some point. But what happened was that he, it's not even because he was like irresponsible with his money. At a certain point, skateboarding took a dip and it wasn't cool again. I mean, when it started, it was like the hula hoop. Everybody thought it was going to be a fad that like kids liked and then it was going to have its time and go away. And it's as if culture really like was trying to make that happen because skateboarding was mostly made up of like misfits and like kids that were not fitting in culture anyway. So it's as if like the adults wanted it to go away. Right. And the funny thing is that they it, skateboarding, it, they started to like make it illegal to go and skateboard in pools and uh, they shut down some of the competitions and ramps and stuff because it wasn't becoming cool. It was a dying industry. He's like all of the money he was making were off of his royalties of like um, selling his he had a, like a skateboarding company. So selling his merch or whatever. It was something that like the royalties started to go down because the industry was failing. So there's nothing he could control. But he still had this like, well, there, and there's at one point, like the, even that he talks about like the, the vert skating and all this, a certain part of skating became like not cool. And then it opened up this avenue for skaters like still wanted to skateboard and there were no vert ramps or like pools to go skate so they started to go into the urban landscape of the cities and figure that they can you know ollie up onto this rail on the stairs and skate down it and so you couldn't stop skateboarding it was just like now it blossomed into the underground that nobody can control anyways they didn't need a fucking uh, competition to go skateboard or go into the pool they could just go down the street and like rip on some stairs and have a good time so skateboarding then it went into like a downfall where it kind of like fell out of the limelight but in the underground, it was still blossoming. And so he, Tony Hawk describes that at a certain point, like he, the royalties went down and he started to like not, he was going to have to go get a job. But not one point in his mind was he like, okay, well, I guess skateboarding's done. I need to figure out a new career. It didn't even dawn on him. He was like, no, no, I, I still skateboard. I, it's just not working right now. So he had in the interim of like being a skateboarder, making skate videos, he learned how to uh, edit video. It was like right when nonlinear editing is coming out. So it was like, you could edit on a computer and he uh became good at it and enjoyed it and so when it went down like that he was like well i'll just i'll start editing videos for people and make some money um and so he did that for a while but then continued to skate on his own in the urban landscape and vert and do all of that until the x games came out and um lifted skateboarding up again in a weird bubble it was like all extreme sports it was like bungee jumping all these weird things and then skateboarding was in there but it provided a new place for skateboarding to have a light and um, not just be in the underground thing. And then it blew up into, he rode through all of that. He was able to ride and like still have a passion about skateboarding and not be faltered by the fact that the 
the industry around him was falling to the floor um it's like he knew that it, that, that didn't really matter it was just a a wave that he was going to have to ride through and sure enough extreme x games like extreme sports i think they called it in the first year and then it became x games uh created a new place for skateboarding to become like a respected sport and he because he had been consistent he was like still on top of his game so when vert became a big thing in extreme in x games it was like he knew how to go ahead and be the best at it and then he became this guy that um, somehow made it through skateboarding's like industry fall and coming up and down it's like he had this passion about like doing the craft not for any other reason but because he like it was special to him and he just that it made him feel alive right and uh because of that he was able to ride through those those lulls and deal with those huge pivotal shifts in the industry the sudden movements of having it become like this shit ain't gonna work anymore it didn't matter like he still rode through and so he's the only one that like you can see from the beginning of skateboarding well not the very beginning he jumped in like in the 80s when all the Dogtown Z Boys had already done the work to innovate the sport, but he then rode from that '80s era and then to the '90s, and it dipped, and then comes out on top now. And he's still he's like the most iconic name in skateboarding, the music, the the video games, and everything. But uh, it was just purely because he had this un this like stable, unshakable um, relationship with his craft that was like so genuine to himself, and it didn't really matter what anything else whatever anybody else did or said it was just he held it you know yeah i feel like the idea of failure the way that we perceive failure as a period at the end of a sentence rather than just a part of the process really kind of determines what kind of experience you're going to have when you're mm -hmm. going after something you know um also like what have other people done before me you know yeah. it's another big one where um people limit themselves because of roads that have already been paved for them so uh pretty how soon after you left malbec were you in foster the people um it's hard to remember exactly i feel like i so i left the band i was living in that the music studio that we had that we were renting it was cheaper if somebody lived there it had no windows but i was young so i wanted to live there i uh god i lived in that studio with no windows for like four years but i left the band and then i felt like i needed to get out of that studio so i started couch surfing um and staying with a, a friend primarily in a garage and it was it was maybe a month or two of like doing that and genuinely trying to like let go of that band and find music for myself i was just trying to make music on my own to see what i could do um because i had learned a lot of production and stuff in that band and during that me and mark were starting to kind of uh create like take that that his project a little more seriously but it was primarily him uh peddling that and really going into it again i was like pretty doubtful of it so there was a I, i'm guessing it was like two or three months in between me being in that band like leaving it and then us committing to like a tour and getting signed um yeah just a couple of months but there was a fringe of me and mark we had had a relationship for a while there so that was a little bit longer but again my, my motivation to leave the band was not to go into that band and right you can ask mark that i resisted it for a year i mean like we were on the road selling out things playing huge festivals and i was still like 
this ain't gonna last, man. This is what happens. The business like blows smoke and we and we get burned. Like I didn't take it seriously. Do you think that helped you in the long run? Exactly. I mean, it's, it goes to what you were saying earlier. It's like I didn't give a fuck, and I I every time the band, every time some success would come our way and they'd blow smoke, I was like, yeah, I don't care. I really don't fucking care because I, I had been convinced it didn't work. It was none of that. You couldn't trust that. I could only trust like my internal instincts and if I was happy doing the music. And at that point, I I wasn't like totally healed from the other band, so it provided a lot of uh strength to just not be to take those things too seriously like somebody saying that we're we are the best band in the world like i didn't believe that i believe that we were making really good music and we it was honest um and that was that was really the thing that got us through and got us the success i mean we didn't we were able to make mark made that song in two days or something and it was so genuine and honest that like the labels knew they needed us and we didn't need them. Yeah. And that was a huge lesson in the, and being in Malbec is like the whole time we were trying to, we wanted, we needed a label to believe in us so they could give us money so we could just make our art. But at this point I had so much trust in the music and in Mark that it was like this, the music is right. Everything else will work in time. And every time the labels or people would come and say, Oh, we want you. I would just be like, yeah, I know you do. We don't need you but let's figure out a, a plan where we can work together, you know? And Mark had that same um, distaste with the business at that point too. So he, we both knew how to kind of like hold clout and, and keep the ball in our corner as long as we could. And that, that, that was why we had a really uh, healthy relationship with our label for so long. We're, we're leaving that now just because that's not any hard um, feelings. It's just cause we would, we know enough now we can be independent. We don't need that. But, uh, it enabled us to not get like manhandled through the business of it. Like we were able to really hold our ground and work with the label in a way that was like very collaborative. Um, and a lot of that is just not giving a fuck about the game that is played in, in these industries, the entertainment industries. It's set up. It's like fucking set up with gates to, to water down creative authenticity. You know, I think, and that's a lot. I think of what I want to talk about on this podcast in time is is the elements around that that are they work for the business side of art. But I just don't think business in general like works in the art world. There's too many rules. There's too many stipulations you have to follow when art in itself is like a wild animal. It's not ever to be boxed up with rules the most amazing artists that have ever done things that we hold up still to this day and they are our icons as artists nothing was ever like conforming to culture conforming to what their industry was doing at the time they're all outcasts and they were all like miles ahead of what culture was doing right and that's what art does like art i do do think that there's when if we look in the back into history it's like a lot of artists were miles ahead of the culture and in time culture conformed to them they didn't realize it and it took over it took years and years but like we look back and we see that those icons put a flag up in the in that thing whether it's painting or music and then everybody else wants to f be like them and cater to them and so then everybody follows that but then the thing we forget to, to like mention is like in the moment um, right now, most artists are trying to emulate people of the past. And so all we're doing in doing that is lifting their 
what they found as like an authentic thing in their soul were we're creating something for them, essentially. Yeah, it's such a, it's a strange compulsion to copy something, like, rather than celebrating originality. It's like, this is what people like. And it's like, yeah, they only like it because someone came out with it when it was original. Why don't we cultivate more original stuff? But because it is a business, they're looking for that surefire thing, and it just waters down so much of the... And the business is ri- is driven by, uh, they put on the radio what has been proven to sell or been proven to give numbers and, and you make money. Um, that's the first judgment on if it's going to be on the radio or not. It's not really to a point of like this, listen to this song, this is like moving me it's moving you too we should put this out it's that is a thing sometimes but it uh primarily is the music comes to the door and then they line it up with the equations of what's trending right now what has worked just recently let's do that i mean god with our band like it it even happened like i, I the only reason i have this perspective is cuz like going through it i sensed certain things happening at certain junctures and i could see the cards people were holding, even though they were saying, oh, no, this is what we're doing. When we became a band, like, I, for so long, there were people saying, like, listening to our music and liking it, but, you know, not giving... Like, Mark was peddling. He was doing his solo career with a lot of these songs that were on the first record for Foster the People. They were, they were Mark's songs from years ago. The industry had turned down multiple times and said no, and kind of bit, but no, 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 until finally, like, Pumped Up Kicks was undeniable, and then it threw us into the limelight and we went down that road and then so many there were like i would say honestly we were on the back we were on the like coattails of mgmt um they had already come out and like what we were doing was similar to what they were doing so they kind of opened the door for us to be able to then have some like ears to listen to us um and we blasted open that door i think because what happened with that first record was we were able to cross over from alternative radio to pop radio, which if you don't know that it's a it's a kind of a hard transition because they run the rule the rules are different for those for the radio stations. Like I said, the gate system is kind of different. To be on pop radio, you have to they have to know that like there are enough uh call it I guess like indie listeners and like that alternative world which is a little smaller and refined. Um to get into that pop world you, they have to know that it can have legs like a Justin Bieber song or have legs that it can really go. And uh, we crossed that so quickly um, that you could see the industry start to follow us in certain ways. And I remember finding this out a couple years into it that when I had friends that were in um, industry meetings, whether they were in a band trying to get signed or they're a manager or something, but there was like word that in a lot of these um, in the industry, they were the, they were using our band as a model to try to emulate, to cross from alternative to pop radio in the way that we did it. And it wasn't something that we were meaning to do. We weren't like, okay, this is how we cross this. We were being genuine and like making art that we believed in and it happened to work. And then everything that followed it was like the industry or people saying like, what do they have that's so special? Let's put that into our art and then we can do what they did. And I was like, Jesus, this is like, I mean, it felt cool to be like, whoa, we did, we set some kind of trend here and what, in the way, like, 
how alternative music can be can fit into a pop world it doesn't have to be a sellout like pop equation that's like candy pop it can be alternatively cool expression it can have like you know weird expression in it and then also be palatable for a pop scene um i think mostly to be honest i mean i think i have some qualities in that some talents that can cross that too but mark is really good at writing music that does both of that he it's like it has artistic integrity and some really cool decisions in it that uh, aren't typically seen in like popular music and so i mean it's it's such a great canvas for that and that's what naturally got us there but i do think of all of our intentions in the band the way we're motivated um for the most part is not trying to uh follow something like we're just trying to be genuine and be artists and that's what kind of paints the the career for us like you're able to have a little bit more control of your career if you can find that truth you know you don't have to cater even though we did have to at a certain point, like by making f- fulfilling an expectation that the label had of our music and our ability for the music to cross that bridge, go from alternative to pop and like recoup records, all these things that are pretty tough to do in the industry. Um, most of why we were able to do it was just because we were focused on the art. We didn't traverse it and try to like hack the thing. And that is, I think, a big key to the industry is just knowing that there's a certain way the system works for you to make money and succeed and be in that thing. But that, if you play the system by the rules that these industries have like laid out, there's a high chance that you're not going to sustain that. You're not going to be able to last through it. It's like at Catch-22, it's like, um, I think the people that are most successful don't do that. But it's very difficult once you start to get some attention it's like you make the thing because the thing makes you happy and you put it out there and then people love it but then people loving it like pulls you into something where it's really hard to stay authentic Mm -hmm. because there's an expectation there that now comes you know with with somebody it's wild that like our fans you know if they first they hear a song and it changes their life or in whatever way there's a thing that kind of happens there where you've become now this person that has, or this band that has helped their life and they want you to be that way from now on. They want you to be that person that helps change their life. If we make a record, the next record, and it happens to be off kilter of what that person was originally attracted to in the song or that changed them, it's as if we've like offended them and not done the thing that they want us to be again, you know, because that one time it happened. So there's a weird expectation. I wouldn't think that these fans are like thinking that in their mind, but it is a subtle um, thing that's happening where you you feel as an artist like you have to uphold this expectation. Like you've you've helped people by making good art that like moves them. You ha- you want to keep doing that, and the real way to do it is to, to continue to be honest and vulnerable with yourself and make the art for yourself. And that's what will communicate to the people that need it. But you get lost in thinking that, um, especially if there's like time constraints on, okay, we need this second record soon. We're like, okay, well, I got to go down and start focusing on making art again. But it's really difficult to not have that chattering in the back of your head of like, well, we, our first record was so great and it affected so many people and all these fans love us now. The second one's got to be at least as good or in that same vein. You know, it's, it, it's so loud. 
throughout that whole process. And I do think a lot of people um, get lost in that and make themselves small and start making art that isn't really genuine anymore. And this is when you get into those um, things where people are full on bands are hiring writers to write their songs because they're, and they're like pop writers that have figured out equations of like how you write a candy song, something that is just sounds good and is listenable, which is an art form in itself, to be honest, that is a very hard thing to do. Um, but I don't think that, that it's good to use writers like that for artists to try to like get them through to, to be successful again. It's like, that's not, it just doesn't, doesn't work as far as like long lasting sustainable career and being happy about it well it's like not honest also yeah how was fame for you was it every was it was it fulfilling did it make you happy it's fulfilling for a little bit i think i you know having spent so long trying to make malbec work make his other band work when you do get some success and get recognized for doing art um that then it's it feels great of course uh it's validating in a lot of ways but because i had that like didn't give a fuck attitude in the beginning i did have one leg out of it a lot of the time where i knew to not take it too seriously i got wrapped up into it for sure in a little bit there um where because it is it's crazy when you just have some success like everybody wants to give you praise so like you show up to venues it's like free beer you get free dinner uh free hotels sometimes it's like people just give you shit and you can get used to that and feel like now wherever i go in in reality I, like i'm i'm supposed to be given i'm ex, i'm it's expected that i get taken care of in the way that i'm used to so it's kind of a, a little it can be a little bit of a virus where you lose perspective of like who you really are and like that we're all human and nobody's necessarily like better than anybody the way that system is, it's like a really fame is bizarre i know everybody like is seeking after it but when you do get when i have the little fame that i've had it's it's uh by keeping one foot out of it i like was really able to see the sour parts of it and the the temptation of like believing some of those things is really strong and it feels like you you can become this like bigger person than you are you know because everybody's like telling you that um and i think this goes into a, a lot of what i was i've been trying to understand in a lot of the years is that why i've felt so alone in being in a in a band and having success like that is that i didn't feel that there was something wrong with what i was being perceived as i think what we're all being perceived as in the band where it's like you're this certain person and then i over-identified with that because I just didn't, you know, I think I felt alone for a while and I, I, in some way I didn't feel like I was being seen for like the, some truth that was more than just this, like, I'm this guy in the band, in this band, I'm the drummer in this band and I, I'm a good looking guy, popular, like there's way more to me that I haven't been able to feel, I guess in some way, like feel comfortable with expressing and because i didn't there weren't a lot of people that i felt like could see me so i had to i was gonna have to like over explain certain emotions that i was having or certain perspectives because uh i don't know i was being seen in some light that it wasn't completely true to me you know like i felt like i've been me in some ways but there's a 
a deeper part that like didn't just didn't seem like it, it was being seen or shared like i wasn't able to share it so becoming some kind of becoming famous or be having a little bit of fame where people glorify you I always felt a little icky because i was like this isn't you're glorifying me for something that yes i'm a part of and i've been an artist that's like had some success but there's like all these other things that i like love to talk about and that are weird about me or like quirky things yeah. that uh aren't being seen and therefore i don't totally feel like i deserve this limelight you're giving me exactly and it's like yeah i mean it is me on some level but like you guys are celebrating it's this someone weird feeling i think me. a lot of people like get it that you, where you can feel alone in a giant crowd like you everybody's probably felt that and that that's to me, it was like that all the time for for most of the last yeah. 10 years. Like, it was just a very difficult, it didn't feel genuine in some way. I felt like at certain times I was trying to be genuine, but really, like, at this point, looking in the rear mirror of how, how all the difficulties and stuff, it the most prominent thing is that I just pretty much, I didn't feel like I was being seen, and that's... I don't know why and I can't like explain it all quite yet, but that dark alone feeling was like just debilitating to, at a certain point. Like I couldn't make sense of it. The fact that I had loving people around me and I had a good career and money and things. Why would I feel alone? Like never made sense. And it is very difficult to talk to people because I would offend people that were like trying to be successful in music. And I'm like, no, but I feel really like there's something wrong. Like they were like, give me the damn job. I don't want to, like, you're feeling, yeah, I'm ungrateful and just not like thankful for what I have. Uh, it's just a deeper level. It didn't matter about any of the success or like money. you sound There's ungrateful. Some other real dark sadness that I am trying to uh, get my head around now. I feel like I've gotten my head around a lot of why it was happening, but I didn't realize how small I had made myself. And that it's really difficult to just all of a sudden be honest after having had such a long time of like habitually being, making myself small to cater to what other people thought I was and that I didn't want to stir that up too much. But I, after a long enough time, it's like, that's just not being honest and not communicating. So what's, what's helpful in that? I just going to perpetuate not being honest the rest of my life and just live in this like bubble of what people think I am. I could do that, but I don't think I'd be very happy. And the way that this alone feeling has just torn me to shreds and like, I can't do that anymore. The only thing left to do is just be honest, I guess, and try to figure out a way that, um, I can just talk to talk my thoughts out and not have to really be accountable to what, somebody else thinks about it it's, you can think whatever you want it's really just for me i think to try to un talk about some of this and find my find my voice again in some way that has authenticity to it and is not catering to like what people think i should be um i want to ask a second you think this further but as far as doing podcasts Um, I want to ask in a second where you think this started, but as far as using podcasts as a place to find your voice, um, you know, there's everyone and their mom wants to do stand up. Well, they did before, um, 
COVID started, there was a lot of people starting stand up, and it's like funny in in comedy to shit on that. But I think as comedians, we get insulted. You know, other comedians get insulted at the idea of everyone thinking that anyone can do stand up because it's actually quite difficult. And but I feel like it comes from a desire to be heard. I mean, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, my friends think I'm funny. And it's like, OK, we'll go ahead and try to be funny on stage. It's a completely different thing. But then there's a there's a lot of that around podcasts also. And I think that there's space for everyone to have a podcast. But I also just think like everyone should have a podcast. Like everyone should get used to being themselves and talking about things that they care about. And I don't know, live journal their experience. And maybe I'm projecting here because I do that. But I feel like it's just it's it, it is an art in and of itself to just kind of live out loud. It's so it would be so helpful if everybody was living out loud in some corner of the internet, so we would have a reference of like who people really are, right? And you don't have to be required to listen to people's bullshit that they want to talk about in a journal form on a podcast. But how helpful it would be if every if there was we knew there was some corner where we could find like genuine honesty from somebody, even if it sounded crazy and we didn't agree with it, we could peer into somebody else's problems of life and potentially pull something that's applicable to our own life. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's what's really attractive to me about the whole podcasting. It's really difficult for me to like say to myself, like, and even tell a friend like, Hey, I got a podcast. You want to check it out? (laughs) Sounds ridiculous. Like I don't, I'm not doing it for any more popularity or anything. Like I just talked about fan. I don't like that element of it. The way that I don't know, the way it's glorified so quickly. So don't worry, nobody's glorifying podcasts. <laughs> yeah. There's like 12 of us that like them. <laughs> but there is like this clout that's going, or this thing that's going on in the podcast world where like Joe, you know, Joe Rogan is like wildly successful off of a podcast. He's like paved the way for honest, long form discussion. And it's so helpful. I've grown like so much from just listening to podcasts because there is no, nobody's help being held accountable. There's no fucking rules. Like, Duncan Trussell can be wacky and crazy on his podcast and talk about nuts stuff. Like, you know, two years ago, I don't know how long his podcast has been around, but like there were probably not very many people that could listen to that and get through it and not be like, who is this guy's talking about some crazy shit. Now it's like one of the most popular podcasts and he has a Netflix thing and it's like, cause he's speaking his truth and it's, right. it sounds crazy to some people, but there are a lot of people that do resonate with it. So that means that there's, no matter what you have going on in your life, as as ridiculous as it may sound to some people, there's a lot of people that that's going to resonate deeply with and they're going to learn something from it because they're going to realize like, oh shit, I thought I was the only one feeling that and I w- was trying to hide that away. Now there's somebody on this like public platform on a podcast saying it and people are liking it and people are learning from it. Like I can do that too. I should just be honest. It's so it's such a cool I agree, man. If everybody had the podcast and they knew it was just to be, it's like a journal and it was just for themselves, um, then that's, that's so powerful, man. I think there's nothing to hide behind. I'm saying that as I'm like resisting trying to do this. It's like I, I'm, I've been trying to, I've been hiding because I didn't know that I was like making myself small and I was, I have more to say, you know, that, that isn't, like I have something to say to everybody and educate something. It's just, I have something to emote and be like, I, there's something I need to kind of be that for some reason I couldn't be in this other 
ways in the band and be like that way because I all the perception I was taken too seriously and thought that's what I needed to be. I think it's really easy for us to become a, a culmination of other people's expectations of us. And I just realized it was it's only been two years since my first episode of my first podcast. It feels like I've been podcasting for 300 years. But um, in that podcast, I faced so many things that I was afraid of and embarrassed of and learned so many things about myself. And it feels obvious to me when I'm not being honest because when I'm not being honest. I tend to trail off. I'm like my voice is, isn't as robust. You know, I'm not as engaging. And so it kind of forces me to be truthful so that it's compelling. Yeah. And after a while, it became like how I clear things out. So I'm in this on this path of self-discovery and realizing all these really embarrassing things about myself that I like had hidden from myself even. And as they start to come up, I the podcast became a place to like absolve myself, like to release these things. Like if I tell everybody then I don't have to live in shame anymore. And it became its own art form, its own like being honest. And it really just kind of was for myself. It was just like the art I was creating. I didn't expect for it to take off. And I don't know that I care. Like I didn't care. It was that thing again. Like I'd already had a, a good, like I didn't care. And um, I think, I love the idea of everyone having a podcast or a lot of people having a podcast and like being able to find other people whose voices resonate with yours, you know, and it's this free thing where art used to be. I don't agree with the gatekeeper system at all. As we know, I like you and I really connect on that. I just think what would the world be if you didn't make money doing art? How rich would the landscape be if people were just making art and money didn't exist? It's so watered down by the business side of it. Yeah. And they, I, I mean, I gotta say, even for me doing, uh, trying to do this podcast, like I've done, um, you know, 25 different like takes of me <laughs> trying to be honest. And the crazy thing is like, you start to tune into yourself so much where I could, I'll talk for a half hour, whatever, try it, and then listen back. And immediately when I start listening back, I'm like, shit, you're not being like honest, dude. You're still. You're you can hear it. Yeah, you can hear it. And I never was aware of that until you start to record your voice. And then you intuitively, you can tell within yourself when you're being honest, you know. And it's embarrassing how many times I was doing it. I was like, you're still not doing it, dude. There's nobody in here. Just do it. Just fucking talk in the mic. Like you, like be honest as no one is listening. And it was still hard. It took me takes and takes and takes. I finally was like, okay, I can hear a little bit now. I'm starting to just be honest and not care. And uh, just that lesson of myself was made me realize in subtle ways in life that I'm not being genuine. And that that gets me in a lot of trouble as far as like my own happiness and, and feeling like I'm being heard. If I'm not speaking my truth in any way, then how am I supposed to be heard? It's like, that was the most difficult part of these last 10 years is I realized the hole I got myself in, I had dug myself because I wasn't openly communicating my emotions or feelings about things. And therefore, I would hold resentment about certain things in my life that were happening. And it's not their, the other person's fault in this. If I'm not communicating it, it's, it's my fault too. So for a long time, I was pointing my finger at other people or other things in my life that I thought were the problems. 
But when I really started to tune into like, I'm not being authentic and I can hear my voice when I'm recording it by myself that I'm not being authentic. What the hell's going on? Why do I, why am I so afraid to do that? For me, and there's a million reasons why I was afraid to do it and like why I got caught up in a, in a weird like loop of making myself small to cater to other people. Um, that was a big reason. But understanding to, for myself, hearing where I'm like, in my voice where I'm not being real. Like now I can sense that by trying to like record it a couple of times and you, I can see how difficult it is um, for us as individuals to, to discern where our truth is and when we are potentially catering to somebody else. Um, and I think that that's what's like, it's so sad to see how that affects artists when they're like making themselves small in their craft because they think they need to cater to how what popular music is or what a good painting is to get into a gallery they they think that you have to cater to the gate system to get in and that's like you're just making yourself small the whole time you're actually not being truthful if you drop all that bullshit and try to find some truth record your voice in here and you're like you're fucking lying still it's all right you're lying because you just don't think that you can be real but the real the success and like fulfillment comes from just getting down in the dumps of your own heart and being like, why are you not being real? Just let go and, and unpack that. And then you find like a well of creativity, you know, most of the times in these last couple of years where I've really had to face darkness and like my own shadow and like accept some dumb things about me on the other side, it's these like sudden movement things. Like you pivot, accept it and, and like feel that. And on the other side, there's so much creative inspiration. Like there's just a well of it. And then you start creating your art from that honest place. But the second you start to close off and cater to, um, well, well, this, this is a good song. So let's make this more poppy. So it will go as far as it can. You're in the way right away. Right. It's so fast. And it's a lot of artists are catering that and they don't realize it. Even the highly successful and big, you know, like, U2 is one that I don't, I love U2, but like watching how they've tried to like, you know, for so long, like just resist being irrelevant. Um, and they are trying to genuinely like do good music, but they're catering to what is uh, popular now, what young artists are doing. And they try to like make, they try to pick some of that up. And it's, it's cool. It's genuine. At least they're trying to kind of, they realize that they're potentially irrelevant. Some old bands just never accept that. But it's still like, as it seems, I don't know them personally, but it seems like that they were, they are trying to fit their like art into the mold of now. And that's, you're, it's, it's really difficult to do that. And it'd be much easier if you're just genuine and you made a, a new U2 record that sounded like some modern fucking electro thing. I don't know. It, it could be cool there. There could be artists are able to like mold and change through genres and through times. Like if you just follow your own truth, you have it. Like you don't have to fit in some mold of like be Joshua tree record, be the old U2. That's what fans want, but like they don't know that they actually what they do want is like a modern day U2 that's emoting and being real in the modern technology and everything. They're not trying to like chase after the thing, you know. It's the thing we've been talking about a lot lately where um, we do this in our personal lives with expectations of each other and kind of attaching our 
expectations of people staying the same. You know, we've been talking about how crazy it is that it used to be like a valid indictment against somebody that they've changed. Yeah. You know, it's like, you've changed. And it's like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Are you ready to change? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a real thing, man. The change used to be, uh, yeah, when I was not even that long ago when I was younger, that you get convicted of that all the time or like you resist it. It's like, you're changing, man. Don't change. Like, you're still you. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm still me, but I love change. I love changing up the environment, changing up the way you do things. Growing. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, it's like funny to actually, when you cut it down to like a lot of people are resisting change and they don't realize everything around you, like all of reality, all of nature is constantly changing. If nature wasn't changing, if the trees and leaves and all of that thing wasn't constantly changing, we'd all be fucked. Like nothing would work in reality. So why are we resisting change? Is there some, is there anything stable in life? No, literally like there's actually, everything is dying all at the same time and it's all living all the same. It's coming to life, born death, born death. It's like, that is the whole thing. Um, if you're going to resist change, you're going to, you're just trying to slowly die. You're trying to just get into a little box and like slowly waste away your life like, yeah it's i like hate to say it that way but that's what it feels like clinging to that expectation of the old thing that like and then dying with it rather than like being open to the next thing coming in mm -hmm. but i feel like a lot of the reason that we do that is the same thing that we do in art because i've noticed that it is as difficult for me to ignore things that people like like when people criticize something I make, it's almost easier for me to get over that. Like, it, it fucks my art up less than when people love something I do. That gets in my head more because I'm like, oh, this is what they want, you know, right. which isn't why I made it in the first place. But it's tempting. To, to it is tempting. Yeah. Um, you become beholden to the expectations of fans and... And uh, and not even like so I could stay popular, but just kind of like See this. And this goes to this makes me think I, I feel like a lot of artists, a lot of icon artists that we hold up as a culture do in some light. You can look at it and be like, those people were kind of crazy, right? Like, yeah, the Picasso's, the Leonardo da Vinci's like when you really look into their lives, like they were erratic and wild and jumping around all the time. Um, I almost wonder if. This is like some of this thought is like gets me caught up sometime is, is that there is an aspect of looking at the way art doesn't fit into any business model. It waters it down. You can't really ever tame art like it's in it's in its nature to be doing something that isn't congruent with culture. It's like constantly evolving and changing. So when you have artists that like tune into this and they know that they find the the genuine like original art within themselves and they get successful they become crazy they look crazy and mentally unstable to to the culture because they're internally actively resisting every praise that you give them every criticism that you give them they're they're protecting themselves and to do that with a and like that amount of energy and pressure coming from a huge culture of people will make you mad because you're trying to protect this precious thing inside you that everybody else when they praise you it is fucking with your expectation now right, right. you know you're that feels good that you like my art but now i'm i potentially am going to cater to like i don't want to let you down again so I'm, i need to make something to that caliber 
again, if I'm thinking like that, I'm out of the, I'm not in touch with my true heart of like what you want to make next. What if the thing I really want to make next is going to be something completely left field to them what I just made and that potentially is going to ruin that person's expectation of who I am as an artist. These are all like crazy head games that I think smart, intuitive artists do feel. And to defend that, you got to look wild and crazy and that you like one day you're making this beautiful painting, the next one you're making, it's like it, people don't get it. But that doesn't matter. Like you're on this path of like exploration within yourself. You're going to constantly be making original stuff. Whether people like it or not, doesn't matter. You're going to get to the next one and it's going to be original. So I think that there's like, in one way you can look at it, like this resistance that art can't fit into business causes some good catalyzing inspiration and passion around making art. It just requires a very stable and strong artist that knows himself and knows where the, the special magic comes from. It doesn't come from anybody else. It's only in yourself. And you, there's certain ways that you kind of do have to protect yourself to the perceptions of other people. And that looks like someone's insane from inside the culture, looking to that artist, you're like, what are you doing? You don't even, we said you're so great for these paintings and now you're making like paintings with a fucking dot on it. Like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, they don't understand it. Well, this is perfect. The person's like actually being themselves, you know? That's a great allegory for existing in a society. Yeah, exactly. It's difficult. It's like not easy to be trying to be honest and truthful to yourself when you know some of those things don't fit into the cultural norms. But again, if you look in history, I really think you can look at it in a way that you can you could say art is leading culture in most ways. Culture Absolutely. follows the art. So why are we trying to make art that follows a culture when it's never worked that way? It's a natural need to try to control things. And it's the thing that makes you irrelevant. It's the thing that makes you, because it's only if you're following a trend, the trend only lasts for a while and then there's a new trend. So if you're following backwards, you just, okay, let's follow this trend and we'll make a record that way. And then we'll wait to hear what the culture says is the next trend and we'll make another one then you're just like behind the culture. All good art is ahead of the culture. And that's why it blows people's minds. They're like, how did you see that? Uh, so there, there's no way to, to do it backwards. I mean, again, I, you can, but you're just playing a business game. Then you're making your art just a business. You're not innovating and, and changing your life and other people's lives. Right. Uh, speaking of art, do you want to talk about your property here? Yes. Um, he lives in a piece of art. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what it's become. I didn't, um, I mean, I moved here to get away from LA and get out of the like hustle and bustle life because I was on the road so much. I was already hustle and bustle and I couldn't feel like I'd really come home and like check out. So I wanted to get out of LA and uh, Nashville was the first spot that made sense. So it's, um, definitely a place that's more off the grid than like LA living. Uh, I'm still near a city, but essentially it became a place as like a kind of a sanctuary for my own uh, safety and, and creative exploration and like being vulnerable by myself. Cause I, you know, at that, that time I didn't know how to be myself openly. So I needed like a safe place. So I think that was the intention of coming here. Um, but it started to turn into a bigger thing as I lived here long and became uh, very, I just put a lot of time and energy into making this place 
work within my the way my mind worked creatively so i had a lot to do with like flow and being getting into uh tapping into like my environment a bit more than normal because it helped me really feel safe and i could be i could get into creative flow pretty quickly and easily so the thing after years has turned into it feels like more of an art project in itself because it's a way to live and be artistic so um there's you know by thinking of it like a canvas almost like this place is a canvas for me to be able to live here and function and be healthy but then constantly make art because i'm in this mindset within the place that feels very safe and in line with how i want to uh live life and create art at the same time so uh i'm starting a cult that's going to be here to make art <laughs> no that's what it sounds like i just think that i do i do see a um an opportunity with the place becoming a a cool place for other artists to come and and that are, are that resonate with this idea of like flow and uh, how much your environment can affect the process of making art and uh I, f I see it as being coming a place i think eventually like for some kind of like artist community i know that just sounds like a cult or some kind of like commune but little hippy dippy yeah and it, i think in its nature it is like when we want to you want to get people around you that resonate the same and make art it just immediately falls into a commune or something that a culture doesn't understand I, i'm like highly sensitive and aware of all those things that's not what i'm trying to do but i realize that's what it looks like i think more than anything i'm trying to find artists that uh think about things think about art in the same way that i do and that it's a a very personal thing it's sensitive and uh, i want to create a safe place for people to not to be able to get into a mindset that's not catering to the gate system and not catering to these things that like artists think they need to do to be successful as an artist i want to have a place that's like built to for people to find that in themselves and then you have tools and a um environment to just start doing that and and bring your own like healing into it your own personal life problems that you can like process within a safe place and being artistic about it art i feel like in a lot of ways is a vessel for your emotions to like pass through and you can transmute them and create a material object with it, whether it's a painting or music or whatever, but to be able to feel safe in a place and environment to do that. So be vulnerable with yourself, see some things in yourself that you're not normally uh, comfortable to see. And in that same environment, like deal with those things and then move it into your art, move it into your craft. And uh, in that moment, create something that has genuine emotion and passion behind it. And you feel safe doing that. You don't feel like you're going to be ridiculed for your emotion of and what your art is and what it means. It's like it doesn't need to be anything but what you want it to be here and now. And so it's a little bit of a protective place, I guess, in a sense that I, I've struggled finding uh, <clears throat> environments that work for me. Um, studios and places to live that like constantly keep this in the back of my mind instead of being open to like a perception of uh, what the art should be or if I'm at this place I'm paying for this money there's an expectation I need to make something great here because I'm spending all this money all these things like just water down this creative flow with your muse and I don't um want it to be like that. I want to have the, I want there to be a place that like 
people can come to and like they don't know what's going to happen, but they know they're going to find something genuine in themselves and potentially make a piece of art that represents that and doesn't fall to the traps of all the gate systems and like thinking that you need to do certain things to be successful. I, I truly believe that there's not a, there's no way to be truly successful and proud of art unless you're yanking it out of your soul and being like letting that come out and having a place for it to live. So there's a lot of, uh, for me, it was about feeling safe that I could do that and I wasn't going to be judged. Um, and that's what I've been trying to make this place for myself to, to be this like sanctuary. And I've noticed having like those few people that I have had be here and that I've worked creatively with that resonate in the same way. It's like they, it, it works for them too. Like all the things that I thought were personal to me that I was making this place special for me, other people pick up on and it is valuable to them. So that's what mostly what made me start to think in this way is like, oh, do artists need this? Do we all need something more like this? I'm not saying I have all the answers, but it's worked for me. It's changed me a lot. And it's, there are people around me that I've seen it to start to change too. So uh, that's like my motivation for it. Again, I don't really know exactly how it's going to work out, but I do want to have a lot of funky ideas and I want to make the whole thing kind of like a playhouse, a madhouse that artists can come and um, kind of go into it, like get into a mindset just by living here and being here and the way it operates that then is a closer place to be able to um, translate your heart onto the, the, the canvas, you know, just to be, be genuine and real and face things in your life and make art from it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's where it all comes from. So it's a sensitive thing. It's not easy. I think it's not easy to be vulnerable and, uh, be all that you are like in a with people around sometimes so yeah that's kind of what this place is and a long long explanation of like what i want to want to make it um i kind of i'm calling it hinterland for now which what means, does that mean which means i don't know the exact definition but there, it's basically a, a hidden place a place that's behind uh a known place so it's kind of and that's what it has been so up until this point uh, is kind of a a hidden area that I, I haven't, you know, expressed, I haven't told a lot of people about in this way because I have been protecting it and it's, I wanted to keep it hidden a little bit. Um, and maybe moving forward, it is kind of, it has this like hidden nature to it. I mean, we are in the woods in a kind of a corner, but um, more than anything, I like that it's this, the idea that it's hidden makes it feel safe to people. It's like this hidden spot nobody needs to know about where you can go pour your heart out and make some cool art and you don't need to tell anybody about where it was it happened for you and it's a special place the fact that it's hidden makes it keeps it a little protected you love that mystery gotta love that mystery you know it has mystery has done me wrong and what or i i've I now feel a need. I do have to go back and kind of get like I'm trying to be honest on the podcast is just try to say that some of that mystery might be a little bit wrong, but it's mysterious in a way that's, that's what I like. It's anybody can pick up what they want and think what they want of it. But I still have the ability to be like, that's not me because I'm, I'm over here. Can you tell me something about you that you've had a hard time communicating? Is that mm. too vague? Um, no, it's not vague unless you're trying to get a specific answer from me. I might not be giving you a specific answer, but I think 
Um, well, no, the first thing in my head is like, I think I, I thought for a long time I didn't know how to love. Or I didn't know what love, like the exchange of love or something. I didn't, um, Yeah, I don't know. Like growing up, I had a, I didn't have like a rough childhood, but my dad wasn't really there. He was sick for most of the time. So there was like some, you know, shifts and dynamics in the way like a mother and father are. My mom was kind of both. But um, none of this stuff really stuck with me too long. But it, it definitely like makes me have to look back at my life sometimes in a way that's like maybe there's something I wasn't paying attention to because I wasn't feeling like I was seen then and I created this thing. So a lot of ways I can look back and be like, maybe I don't know what love is because I don't, my dad didn't really give me a good example of like what a man does when he's loving. Um, it's a very complicated way he was loving. So uh, I think some of the relationships I've been in have been built around what like I thought love was or what I think we think is supposed to be love by cultural standards. And I found myself to be pretty, um, I don't know what the word is, but I felt like I was, I, I feel in my heart like empathy and like genuine care for others. Like it's real love. Like it doesn't feel like it, it's, it's very deep. But there's something that goes on when there's like a trust and an exchange with somebody where if I don't really feel safe or trusted or like I, I'm being trusted, that then I can start to um, give off the feeling that maybe I don't love you. More like early on, it wasn't that. It was more of a like, I don't, this doesn't feel right if you're telling me like, I'm not, I don't know how to love because I'm not loving you in the right way. I couldn't get my intellectual mind around why I had resistance to that. Like it never, so I would be convinced sometimes that like I am bad at love because I'm not doing the things that you tell me you need for love. It felt like a little bit inauthentic or that that was going to be, I could find a place to be authentic about it, but it felt like it, it wasn't coming from this genuine place where, uh, it just didn't feel like that was going to be me loving you. I felt like I probably, I had to be, it was better for me to be honest and try to like point out the thing and let them find it than to be like, okay, I'll just love you like this. It didn't feel real. Um, but I've been told many times that that was like a fault or like, yeah, but you, if you're not loving me how I need to be loved, then I'm not going to be fulfilled. And so then I'd be like, okay, yeah, well, you're right. So am I not loving right? Am I too self-absorbed? Maybe I need to do those things, you know? But, um, so it's just wild. I don't know. I've, I've been told so many times that I don't know how to love somebody, but like certain people that I do have relationships, friends and family, like see how I love and there are very few, but they like get it. And there's an exchange there. And I love them more because I know they're seeing me. And I don't feel like I need to be false with them ever or like say, okay, I'll do this. Cause I know you need that. It doesn't really, like I can, be real and the person sees that that that's me loving them because i don't want to make you small i want to empower you you know so i do feel like that i don't know i don't know everything i'm not like perfect but i do think i was loving people more than they thought and i for a long time got told so many times that i wasn't like i believed that for a while and 
the more I got into my own shit and having to like process my own things and be vulnerable, I could sense that more and more. I was like, damn, I, 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 I am being loving. Like I have so much empathy and so much care for people and they don't, a lot of people don't see that going on. Like, but I am like feeling immense stuff. I just don't choose to cater to some of the like false things that people think love is, I guess. Like I said, I didn't know I had any truth to that. I had to like figure it out when I looked back because so long I was being told I wasn't. So that's kind of a difficult thing. I mean, it's always like, I, I can see how I get angled as being somebody that doesn't love right or something, you know? Yeah. What, um, I know. We, I don't know if that, what was your question? <laughs> was um, I just wanted, I wanted to know some things that you wanted people to know about you. Oh, that, yeah. I just, mean, that's just one, there's plenty. Yeah. That, that definitely wasn't the one I was going for, but, yeah, um, <clears throat> but I think that's good as a, that's a worthwhile conversation to have because I think you know, collectively we are all becoming more aware of what makes us tick. And, um, as you know, I, I don't shut up about how much of what we do is to seem good to other people and not when we are just good. But a lot of what we're doing is like, um, self-sacrifice in a way that is to our own detriment in, in an attempt to appear good in a way that isn't authentic. And then when you have like an inner filter, because I've noticed I've, uh, in knowing you, I've watched people try to get coddled and I watch like the, where it, like it hits that same thing as the art for the sake of the radio station. You know, it's like, yeah, well, this it's doesn't exactly feel real. I don't know how to flow here. I don't know how to be here. And so I watch it kind of shut you down and like put you into this kind of mental space thing. But there is like a, like a, maybe an over desire to be perceived as good or to like not hurt anyone. Mm -hmm. That's why I kind of, I did want to, um, I think a great foundational story of yours is, what happened to popular Mark um, uh, when you were school? young? Yeah. 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 This is kind of interesting. Cause I, it, this has lo been looming in the back of my head for a long time and I always shut it off. Um, but it was like a typical like middle school interaction. I don't know when we're all like immature and don't know what we're doing. I, for some reason, I just was popular as a kid and it's not something I tried to, to be or do. Um, but I remember like in elementary school, there was just a lot of, I got a lot of attention in different ways and it never really like, it didn't fuck me up at the time. I'm a kid. So I just continued being popular. I don't know. Like I just doing what I was doing. And at one point, um, a girl that I, I was pretty close to, like she was a friend of a girl that I was dating in middle school, I think at the time. And she at one point we were all walking back to my house, like from the bus stop and I was having a bunch of friends over. We were going to rollerblade and skateboard and stuff. And so probably seven or eight of us. And she felt the need, like right when we got to my house, she like stopped everybody. And she was like, Mark, I got something to say to you. And so in front of everybody, like tore me down and was just saying that I'm a poser and that I, my popularity was like hurting her because she felt small and she felt like I was like walking all over her at times. All these things that I was like, really thrown off by but then i i did kind of believe i was like i could see her side and i was like damn i that is 
that feels that feels like that would be shitty and i'm a part of that like i kind of caused that again i wasn't doing anything to hurt her but like the position i was in made her feel a certain way and that was her problem that she needed to deal with at the time i i like she projected that onto me and i believed it and i could see her side so from that point on i started making myself small i think that was in eighth grade and i was going into high school and i swear like from so sixth to eighth grade i was like one of the most popular kids in school i won all the superlatives and all this dumb shit that made me feel very uncomfortable like it was banned superlatives so it's not really taking that seriously but yeah. seriously at the the like whatever we had a band uh concert and then they were like oh we're gonna get out the superlatives and one after another it was just my name for like half of them all right billy eilish yeah and near the end i'm just like <laughs> embarrassed and i'm like this is ridiculous like why why are we doing we're doing this this is stupid and uh when i got into high school i went the complete opposite direction i like made myself tiny i by the end of high school i was sitting at lunch by myself um seriously like going to lunch by myself sometimes not going to the lunchroom going to the tv room just to make tv stuff and like be by myself and so i that was like when i started to make myself really small and not understand that there was like it was okay for me to just be myself and um that it as i went through life and then left high school and all that stuff it just got it got smaller and smaller and smaller and uh i had to really like only in the last couple of years go back to that moment and try to see what who was was i really wrong was there something that i did wrong and all of that and so i had i finally you know realized i didn't and there was nothing to there's no reason to keep hanging on to that and make myself small so it was really weird to look back in some of my like photos of my life or videos and see i could see where i i changed like i could look at videos and photos and be like wow yeah he's a real that's a i'm being real and i'm like blossoming as a kid and then looking at all this stuff in high school and then all through Malbec, all these photos, I'm like, damn, I, I'm not that guy anymore. Like, I'm really insecure and small. And, uh, but on the inside, feeling like a very big, a big thing, somebody that is confident and true. And so when I'm by myself, I can feel that way. And that's why I started to recluse and become, uh, very, uh, not not what's the opposite of outgoing very uh introverted introverted because it was just, it was a protective mechanism and uh when i finally released that i could i like started to find some of that power again that confidence and be okay with like i can be a certain way if somebody else is offended by it i know for me my motives and my heart and it's not to hurt you it's just i'm trying to be true to something and if you're uh, bothered by it well it's it is your responsibility to figure out why you're bothered by it because it's me doing something in my life. That's my decision. It's not for you to get so um, bothered by that you need to tell me that I'm wrong in doing that. You know, it was really difficult for me to get over th that fear where I just didn't want to hurt anybody. Um, so I would constantly cater myself to like if somebody, I would avoid confrontation like the plague even if it meant that I was going to be honest and try to tell something true, if it was going to like cause conflict, it just wasn't worth it to me because I feel like I would be hurting you. So I'd make myself small and just keep that on my back. And this is what made me feel alone, really. Like that's, it's more and more alone feeling and not, nobody can see me because I'm not communicating me, you know? So, um, 
Yeah, I think it's something I'm still, it's a habit that I'm still trying to keep in check. But just being able to see where that came from and like look at the details and feel for myself that I was innocent there and I didn't need to um, respond that way was dropped like a load of that pressure for sure. And it's allowing me to like get comfortable with me being me again, you know? Yeah. It gives us so much more space to actually help people when we stop trying to make ourselves small. Yeah, because there's no people. point in, like, not being honest with the thing. It's like there's, again, what are we, we're, like, just going to continue not being honest and continue making ourselves more and more unhappy and, like, resistant to the truth. That what good does that really do in the long run? You know, I'd rather be truthful now and potentially hurt your feelings a little bit, but then in months to come or years to come, you, you potentially can see that there was um, nothing to be hurt by there. It was like your own thing, you know? Yeah, well, it's like um, by the time someone is my age, the, you know, you have this midlife crisis or this kind of like cliche man working a job he hates doesn't like his wife anymore wife's unsatisfied sick of hanging out with the kid you know it's all this like cliche stuff but it's because the are like it's changing now quite a bit as as uh the world has become so unpredictable and strange but you're told your whole life what you're supposed to want and what you're supposed to be and that your actions are like and you're you're you just being yourself can affect all of these other people. And so like everybody's so afraid of seeming selfish and so afraid of seeming bad and like so afraid of not seeming successful and not picking the right job. Or I, I spent $60,000 for college. I have to see this through. And we're so afraid of like letting go of these things that, and so we're resisting these sudden movements when all reality is, is reality shakes everything up. And then what we perceive as reality is just us just trying to find security. And then we build a whole, like, these are all the facts of the, of the new thing. Well, we just built this around the rubble of reality comes and shakes it up again rather than just being in the flow. And then you can almost like, you can hear it coming. It's like, you know, the people who are like kind of tuned into that natural flow of life and they don't try to make things stick forever and they, and they don't, um, you know, uh, people please and form their entire existence around what they assume other people want of them or sometimes what people overtly want of them, they get to kind of flow with this thing. They they feel the change coming and they are ready for the change to come because they're allowing themselves to be themselves. But it's not afraid to be like wrong too, right? And make a mistake and is all part of it um being wrong i mean it's part of growth it's part of if you can handle it being being wrong and accepting that immediately if you accept it you know you never have to do it again because you just learned learned that that was wrong right and uh yeah resistance to that is you, you can't always be right you know there's no right or wrong i like the it's not ever this and this or that it's this and that you can be wrong and right at the same time. Um, you can be true to yourself, and sometimes that's going to make you the asshole. Yeah. And sometimes you're the asshole anyway. There's so many things set up in society where this, something's legal, so we think it's okay. 
or there's a law about something or like a lot of people agree on something and it doesn't line up with like my personal integrity or morals at all. And it's not even a moral. It's like morals are your own personal code of ethics. You know, that's what integrity is. Like, what are your lines that you don't cross? That doesn't mean you don't evolve into having different lines, but like what's important to you? What makes sense to you? Not what looks good. It's all just um, virtue signaling when we are like, well, this is what everyone else thinks is immoral now. So now I don't do it. It's like, well, what do you care about? What do you think is important? It's an interesting thing with the Internet right now, too, that the fact that everybody has an opinion about everything and everybody can uh, vocalize that. You you pretty quickly get into a thing where there's not. there's no way to talk truthfully about anything. Cause when you try to say something truthful, then it gets torn apart of like, that's not politically correct, man. You can't say that like, okay, well, but what I was saying, did you hear what I was trying to say underneath the, the wrong wordage I used for your, uh, right. reality? Like there, I'm trying to say something truthful here and everything gets so locked down because everybody's so worried about being wrong and saying something wrong on Twitter and then literally being ostracized and being like, completely ripped off Twitter, you know, like you, there's a fear that if you're wrong in this social environment where like people are just saying their thoughts in a moment online and just, Oh, this is the thing. And then the next day they might be like, Oh, that was actually contradicting. I don't feel that anyway anymore. There's no space to like have a little bit of a like paradox unfold. And somebody says something in the next day they realize, Oh, well, actually there's more to that. There was, this is also true, which contradicts that. So let me talk about that. It's like that's an amazing thing to see somebody like traverse that and be okay with contradicting themselves. I do think that all paradoxes have a truth behind it. If there's something that like can be this and that, that means there's some other bigger truth about it. Whenever I hear a paradox or I hear myself contradicting myself, I get excited because I look into what's behind why I contradicted myself. Why did I think that was real at one point? And then 10 minutes later, I am looking at it from a place that's maybe that isn't. That means that there's, if those can both be true, what is the truth behind that, you know? And that is endlessly, like, you grow from it, you and you can see a bigger perspective of why somebody can over here can think that's real and somebody over here can think that's not real. Those are both valid, they feel valid to me. So can can they both exist? Or is there something beyond this that we're all not seeing that needs to be talked about to say you know like maybe these laws aren't right because these people feel genuine that they have resistance to this and these people don't can we change can we change the law so there's a higher truth to it you know right people are so terrified of contradicting themselves or like potentially talking about a paradox but it's like that's the fucking magic to it if you find a paradox you've found some other higher higher truth or higher like perspective so look into it and then you come up a wrong and then you can now understand more you can hold more paradoxes in your in your mind so it's funny to i mean i was resistant to it a long time too but it's funny to still see people like so resistant to that when it, it is the thing that catalyzes growth and change i think we get there i think we're the pendulum is swinging yeah definitely so i don't really know how to end podcasts but you do, and you typically say, where can I find you? Where can people find you? Oh, excuse me. Don't take my microphone. <laughs> All right, Jessa, where do people find you? Wait, hold on. Hey, Mark, where do people find me? I don't know. Where do they find you? Where did you find me? 
<laughs> You're right. Uh, they can find you at jessareedcomedy.com. You nope. also run it. A... <laughs> nope. <laughs> wow, it was a miracle. Huh. Uh, that is, you are giving them my email address, which I guess makes sense. Did I say at gmail.com? No, but it's uh, jessareed is my website, but it's not uh, 2007. So nobody needs my website. Uh, Jess Reed Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter and Instagram. See, <laughs> uh, I always yes. hear the first part, right? <laughs> I found you on fucking Soberish, so I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> What's Soberish? Uh, Soberish is a podcast about consciousness, and it's weird, and I don't recommend that you listen to it, but um, it's also not named very good for what it is, but <laughs> weird, wild, wacky stuff about higher consciousness, awakening, whatever, delusion. It's satire. Sweet. Um, you can find me here. I don't know yet. <laughs> I have an Instagram called Fat Horse Ranch, but I, I'm trying to get something set up for Southern Movements, this whole thing. I don't have anything yet, but yeah, you, you figure it out. We'll all figure it out. You're literally here. I mean. Yeah. You found it already. Right. So just come back to wherever this is. Probably in a week or something. I don't know when we're gonna how often we'll do these, but how often I'll do these. <laughs> <sighs> Feels good. Okay. Thank you for letting me be a part of your first this. <laughs> this. Of course. I wouldn't have uh I needed somebody to help me through it. So thank you. Uh sweet. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you.